going to be in verses 8 through 11. Uh, we are on our final week studying the Christian Sabbath. and uh, But I, even though it's our last week studying, I hope it's but the beginning uh, for you of keeping the Sabbath every week. And this morning we come to part two of keeping the day. You know, if I could view the whole series as one sermon, the first five weeks were the body of the sermon, and these last two weeks are application, right? So that's, that's essentially the thrust of this, this sermon and last week's sermon is to give you application concerning uh, your duties on the Sabbath day. Now, last week we considered what is forbidden on the Lord's day, and we saw five major principles that guide us to determine what we should not do on the Lord's day, the Sunday. First, we should not work. Second, we should not make others work. Third, we should make sure that those under our authority do not work. Fourth, we should not engage in worldly recreation. And fifth, we should do works of necessity and mercy. And now that leaves us with the question, so what do we do on the Lord's Day? What do I do then? The helpful reminder here, you should remember this when you read the Bible in general, when the scriptures forbid something, they always command the opposite. And when the scripture commands something, it always forbids the opposite. Right, so Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 is a good uh, summary of this principle. God tells the Israelites, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Don't do this, do this instead. So when something's forbidden, the opposite is commanded. When something's commanded, the opposite is forbidden. So then the Sabbath is not kept by merely ceasing from our work and our play. There is a positive element to it. Uh, there's a, a, a funny quote I read uh, from a theologian named M.C. Briggs. Sounds like a rapper, but that's his, that's his initials, M.C. Briggs. Uh, he said, if Sabbath means rest only, then the man who suspends exertion and consults ease keeps it, and he who slumbers most keeps it best. <laughs> he said, if, if, if that's all the Sabbath is about, is about resting from your labors, and the guy who sleeps all day is keeping the Sabbath in the best way. But then he goes on to say, a man profanes the day by resting only. So, brothers and sisters, there is much for us to do on the Lord's day. You know, God doesn't tell us, uh, catch this, God does not tell us to cease work and recreation for the sake of a merely physical rest. He intends us to fill the day with better and higher things than we're used to doing on the other six days of the week. The Sabbath, remember this, is a day of God, for God, and to God. It's a day for worship of, fellowship with, and meditation on God. It's a Godward, God-oriented day. So hear this and remember it. We forsake work and play so that we can worship the Lord. So then, how do we keep the day holy? Well, our confession, I'll read this to you. Chapter 22, paragraph 8, says this. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. That is a really good summary. You know, mo most people... 
only focus, and I, I bet you this is most of us, because this was me even early on after I had uh, embraced this Christian Sabbath doctrine. Most people only focus on the prohibitions of the Sabbath day. That's, the, that's all anyone ever wants to talk about, by the way. So what, what am I not supposed to do? Right? That's all anyone wants to talk about. And that is a really, really unbalanced view. Really unbalanced. Right? You, in, in focusing on what you shouldn't do and stopping there, you're actually neglecting the beauty and goodness of what we should engage in. You know, so, some people worry that we'll get some kind of, I'm stealing this from a book I read. Some people worry, are worried that we're going to get like a Sabbath cabin fever right because we're not allowed to work or engage in recreation on the lord's day and so people panic at the idea of a day with no work no sports no worldly television the rest like what do i do Do i sit and stare at the wall all day right like i'll go nuts what am i supposed to do on the lord's day but know this you shouldn't worry because there is plenty to do on the sabbath and the activity is good and glorious and i personally believe that once we understand all that we should and can do on the Lord's day, the question will not be, what can I do? But rather, how will I find time to do all that I would like to do? I really do think that's what we're going to come away with. Where am I going to find the time to do all this stuff that I want to do on the Sabbath? So please hear me. The Lord's day is more about what we are blessed and privileged to do than it's about what we should not do. Remember this, and and your whole perspective on keeping the Sabbath holy will change. Here it is. You are called, or rather, you are blessed to be called away from work and play in order to do better things with your time. Remember that. And, And by God's grace this morning, we will consider what those better things are. May God bless the preaching of his word. If you wouldn't or able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, an infallible word of God. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to sit under the ministry of your word. But God, we're weak and needy, and we need your help if we're to profit at all from the preaching. I know a lot of us are tired. A lot of us don't feel 100%. Even some of us here may not be incredibly interested in the subject at hand, but Lord, I pray that by your grace and by your spirit working in us this morning, that you would open our hearts to receive your word, to be attentive to it, because it is your word and not just a man speaking. God, have mercy on us and teach us. And help us to believe and obey all that you've said through faith in our Lord Jesus, who gave himself up for us to make us a holy people. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's start by considering one big, broad principle that everything else in this sermon is going to fall under. Here it is. The Sabbath is a day for worshiping God. There's your big principle. That should govern the whole day. And I believe that we see that in the fourth commandment itself. It's just not stated 
uh, in the way that most modern Christians expect it to be. So I want to I show you from the commandment itself that the day is a day for worship. First, verse 11 tells us why the day it's, is special. It tells us why the day, rather why we're supposed to keep it holy. And tucked into verse 11 is where we see that the day must be for worship. Here it is. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It was on the seventh day of creation that God took a day and made it holy. Or other translations, or you could translate this word or this phrase the same way, he sanctified the day. And that has major implications on what the day means for us. You see, as I've said before, but I need to say it again so that we have a foundation to work from this morning. When God sanctifies something, when he makes something holy, he does it for a reason. To sanctify something is to, for God to set something apart for himself and his own purposes. And when God sanctifies something and sets it apart for his own purposes, it is for the purpose of his worship. We see this over and over again in the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. Some of you are in your Bible readings. You, you've either finished Exodus or you're in your, the back half of Exodus now. The utensils and the holy furniture for the tabernacle, well, I just said it. It was holy. What were they used for? What was the utensils and the, the furniture and the tabernacle used for? Worship. The Levites were set apart from the other tribes. Why? Because they were to assist in the worship of the tabernacle and the temple. Aaron and his sons were set apart from the rest of the Levites. Why? To be priests, that they might lead the people in worship. The nation of Israel was set apart by God from all other nations. And why? Read Exodus 3 again. Why does God want them set free from Egypt? That they might worship me at this mount. They were set apart from the other nations and brought out of slavery for the purpose of worship. In the church, we read in the New Testament, the church is a holy people, saints, holy ones, holy ones set apart by God, set apart from the rest of fallen humanity. Why? That we might worship and know God. Now, there are other examples I can give, I'm sure, but the, the point, I think you can see it. When God makes something holy, he sets it apart for himself and for worship. And verse 11 tells us that God made the Sabbath day holy. So then the day has been set apart for the purpose of of worship and if we are to keep it holy that means we have to use it for what god made it for we have to use it for worship but there's another bit in the commandment that tells us also that the day is for worship and it's really simple it's it's it's, it's kind of one word verse 10 tells us that the sabbath is a sabbath to the lord to the lord your god now you've heard me say this many times already throughout this series but it bears repeating the day is to god that is, it is to be directed at him. And how do you direct anything at God? Worship. That's how we orient ourselves toward the Lord, in worship. So again, that is the whole purpose of the day. If it is a Sabbath to the Lord, then it is a day full of worship. So then, the day, the whole day, not just the morning, not just a few hours, but the day is set apart by God for us to worship him. The, de the whole day, therefore, ought to be filled with worship in one way or another. So that's the main principle. And that's why our confession says that we are to engage in public and private worship on the Lord's day for the whole day. 
Jesus' own example reminds us uh, also that it's good to do good works and help others on the day as well. So we see that, more broadly speaking, the day is for worship and good works. That, brothers and sisters, is the principle that guides the whole day. Most of Sabbath keeping is going to fall into place if you remember the purpose of the day, worship and good works. So, ask yourself, is what I'm doing or thinking about doing conducive to the purpose of the day? That's the question you ask yourself for everything. If the answer is yes, then do it with all your might. And if the answer is no, then keep away from it with all your might and do it on one of the other six days that God has given you to do all your work and all your pleasure. So let's get down to it then. With that principle in mind, how do we keep the day? How do we keep the day? This is counterintuitive, but did you know that keeping the Sabbath actually starts on Monday? Keeping the Sabbath starts on Monday. You have to prepare for the day if you're going to keep it holy. That's why the commandment, I think, in part says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days to get your stuff done. And since the seventh day belongs to God, we must use those six days well. And this is just common sense, natural law implication of the, of the commandment itself. Um, furthermore, fun fact, this might help you to see that you should prepare for the Sabbath. In all four of the Gospels, uh, the day before the Sabbath, which under the Old Covenant would have been Friday, is referred to as the day of preparation. The day of preparation. It was the day to get everything ready so that you can properly observe the Sabbath. And this is why our confession says that we must prepare our hearts and order our common affairs before the day comes in order to keep it. So then that's what I want to flesh out for a second. There are two big categories of preparation for the Lord's Day. Common affairs and hearts. So let's deal with both of those briefly. And by the way, most of this sermon is going to be, here's the duty, let me flesh out some examples of it. This, this whole sermon is application for what you've been learning for the last few weeks. So preparing for the day with regard to our common affairs is really basic and practical. You need to get your work done before the Lord's Day. right? You need to get it done before the day comes. So you need to spend the six days of the week well. You get your yard work, your house cleaning, your home maintenance, and all the rest of your work done on the other six days so that you're not taken away or tempted to break the Sabbath. This also includes, as, the, as, as some of you have learned since you've adopted this doctrine, going to the grocery store and the gas station to make sure that you have all the food and all the fuel that you're going to need on the Lord's Day so that you don't engage in business on the Sabbath. You're free to do this stuff however you'd like, but in my family, Saturday is the day of preparation. All right, that's the day that we use, and some people hate this. We're kind of bummy, so like we save everything up for Saturday. I don't know if you guys do that. Like I'm just going to kind of like let this go. We'll clean it on Saturday. That's probably not the best practice, but it's, it's, it's what we end up doing. That's the day we use for house cleaning, laundry, grass cutting, meal prep if we want uh, something fancy on the Lord's Day, getting gas, getting groceries, and all the rest so that we don't have to do anything when Sunday comes. Now, I confess that this takes some getting used to. It takes some getting used to. It takes some, it takes a measure of discipline. And some people go, yeah, see, since it, like that, that seems pharisaical. And they're saying that because it takes a measure, a measure of discipline to keep the day. But can I put this to you? Can you show me one other commandment God gives that doesn't take a measure of discipline? Even practical, ordinary discipline to obey? Seventh commandment, look the other way. You see someone dressed inappropriately, look the other way. Does it take discipline? Is it really common, basic stuff? Yes, 
Show me one other. Show me one. All the commandments require basic discipline to obey. The point is, though, that we want our common, ordinary stuff in order so that we can truly cease from our work and devote the day to the Lord with all our heart. And I hope that you can see something already emerging with this. The Lord's training us. First, God's teaching us greater discipline and time management since one of our days belonged to Him. We have to make better use of our time and not be lazy. Something me and Pastor Steve say to each other from time to time when we don't want to do something is, man, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Get it done. Get it done because you're not doing it on Sunday. We say it to each other all the time. I got six days to do it. Better go ahead and do it now. God teaches us to use our time better. But see this as well. This is a bit more uh, spiritual, although all things are to one degree or another spiritual. But keeping the day makes you orient your entire week around the Lord's day. It really does. All week long, you are thinking about the day of worship that is coming, and you're using your time well so that you're not kept from the day. So God uses this commandment to remind us throughout the week that our chief business is worshiping him. That's what this does. As you're forced to plan to keep the day, he's reminding you on the other six days of the week, this is your big business. Prepare for it. That is a good thing for us to learn. It's a good thing for us to learn. But we don't only get our worldly affairs in order. We must also prepare our hearts for worship. You're to do whatever you can to get yourself in a right frame of mind to worship God on his day. And this duty, I confess for myself, not just for me, but I think for everyone, is, is often neglected. But usually, it's, I think it's probably through sheer thoughtlessness or ignorance. But it, but it is important. Heart preparation begins also on Monday. How? How many, how many of you pray for the worship service that you're going to partake of in, on Monday? You start praying for the, for the next gathering. That's one of the ways we prepare our hearts. Praying for our pastors to serve well and preach well. Praying that God would visit us and bless us. Praying that the Lord would bring in visitors. Praying that God would help you to keep the coming Sabbath day better than you kept the last one. You get the idea. We are preparing our hearts for the Sabbath by praying for God's blessing on the coming Lord's Day. But there's also another more personal way to prepare your heart for the Lord's Day. Personal introspection. You know, the Puritans were real big on doing this. On Saturday evening, before you go to bed, it's, it's good and right for you to meditate on your past week. Right? Search your heart. Where did I sin? Is there anything I need to confess to the Lord? Is there something I need to go? Right? Jesus says before you come to worship, Matthew 5, if you have ought against your brother, go and be reconciled. Is there anyone that I need to go and, and make amends with? Right? This kind of heart preparation. Is there anything I need to repent of? where we renew our faith in Christ in a fresh way and trust in his work done for us again in order to prepare ourselves to come and worship. Beyond that, it, it's good on Saturday evenings to spend some time simply thinking about what the Lord has done for you and being glad in him and attempting to stir up your affection so that it bleeds over into the Sabbath day. And this can be done with simple scripture reading and some time in prayer. Uh, lastly, for heart preparation, it's good to think about just the day that lies ahead. How am I going to spend it? Right, praying that the Lord would meet you and, and, and bless you on that day. So, brothers and sisters, prepare yourselves each week for the Sabbath. Get your affairs in order and get your heart ready to keep the day and meet with God. 
Keeping the Lord's Day starts on Monday. But now we move on to the great event of the day. And you're doing it. Public worship. This is the great event. If the day is for worship, then formal corporate worship is the big thing. You know, in Leviticus 23, verse 3, we read this. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Holy convocation. You guys ever go to the convo? Convocational center? It means gathering. It's where all the people meet. And God says that the Sabbath is a holy convocation. It is a holy gathering. Brothers and sisters, Leviticus 23.3 describes a worship service. On the Sabbath, there are holy gatherings of God's people. We also see this being commanded in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. A very famous text that tells us to not forsake assembling with one another. That's a religious worship gathering. We also see the example of our Lord Jesus in Luke 4.16. It says, on the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue to teach as was his custom. What does that mean? Jesus, all the time, every Sabbath, went to the synagogue. And what was a synagogue? It's a place for religious worship under the Old Covenant. God expects us then to gather as his people for his worship on his day. And the Son of God gives us his own example of doing so while he was on earth. So please know this. Unless you are providentially hindered by sickness, imprisonment, disaster, or some other awful thing, you must be in church on the Lord's Day. You just must. I'm not going to get into this, but this is one of the reasons why I get so upset whenever churches decide to cancel church for Christmas and New Year's. You are breaking the fourth commandment when you just choose to not come to church on the Lord's Day. Again, things can keep you from it that you can't help. But to willfully forsake the assembly of the saints is evil. Church attendance is not optional. You don't get to choose to not come simply because you don't want to. So again, since corporate worship is the great event of the day, it is a most grievous and flagrant violation of the fourth commandment to simply skip church. So make sure you're in church on the Lord's day. But we can't just be physically present. right? Yes, you have to come. But you also must be present in worship. So I want to I want to I want to get into that for a minute. And this is actually going to this bleeds into the second commandment a little bit that we worship God how he wants us to worship him. But I, I, I want to get into this for, for a second. First, you must be engaged in the prayers that are offered in the assembly. I think I, I'm guilty of this. You sit there and listen to the guy praying. Right. But you're not engaged in it. Um. But, but the man prays. So Pastor Steve, as he leads us in corporate prayer, he's acting as the mouthpiece of the congregation to God. And as our mouthpiece in that moment, what are we supposed to do in the pew? We are to unite ourselves with his prayer, sending our amen to heaven, as one Puritan said, as the man prays. It's like engaging with what's being, being prayed. Um, so brothers and sisters, know this. We are not spectators at public prayer. You may not be verbally praying, but you are to unite yourself with the man leading in prayer. You're being led in prayer. So don't just sit, but engage in what's being prayed. Second, we must reverently and attentively hear the word of God. This includes both the reading and preaching of the scriptures. We must be actively listening 
and not doing what we so often do, where we sit passively and let the words go in one ear and out the other or allow our minds to wander or allow ourselves to fall asleep. We must not do those things. Why? Because God himself is speaking in his word and through the minister. It's Christ preaching through the, pr- through the preacher so long as he's accurately expounding on the text. That's what's going on. This is why it's such a reverent thing. You're worshiping right now. I don't know if you realize that or not. You know, I, and I hate this. Uh, real quick, American evangelicalism. We're going to go into a time of worship. No, you're going to go into a time of worship through song. That's what you mean. Because the whole assembly is worship. Hearing the word read, reading the word, praying, right? Hearing the preaching, taking the sacrament. This is all worship, not just the singing. As you listen intently to the preaching of the word of God, you are worshiping. So we must be hearers who follow along closely, looking to see Christ in the text, hearing the connections and arguments well, and allowing ourselves to be lifted up in our spirits as God uh, and his works are set before us in the reading and preaching of the word. Third, we must also sing spiritually. You need to be engaged in the assembly with what you're singing, in your mind and in your heart. You have to think. How often do you think about the words coming out of your mouth when you sing? Do you know that if you don't mean them, you're breaking the third commandment? You're taking God's name vainly on your lips if you're not actually thinking about what you're singing? Just, Just something for you to chew on. Listen, we don't engage in emotionalism. Right? We're reformed, man. <laughs> we don't engage in emotionalism or allowing ourselves to simply be carried away with the beauty of the melody. And I love music just as much as the next guy, so I've got to watch myself on this. You don't sing it because you like the song. You sing because you're worshiping the Lord, thinking about what you're saying. And also, I won't get into a big thing on this, but the same goes for our corporate confessions of faith using the creeds engage with what you're confessing as we use the Nicene Creed each week. You are, you are declaring the majesty of God. No different than when you sing. There's just no melody. Lastly, we must receive the Lord's Supper with faith and understanding. We need to come to the table not out of habit or mere religious ritual as so many often do, but we should come to the Lord's table each week eagerly and gladly expecting to be blessed by the risen Christ who is present in the supper. Spiritually present, that is. We need to stir up our hearts and affections for him as we meditate on how he died to take away our sins and how he bore the wrath of God in his body on the tree. We need to come to the table praising God in our hearts for his mercy that he has so kindly given to us in our crucified Lord. Come, our confession says that the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice of highest thanksgiving to God. Come, giving a sacrifice of praise to our God for saving us by the death and resurrection of Christ in our place. And then by faith, as you receive the elements, you feed on Christ in the sacrament and he nourishes you spiritually. Don't just come and eat some bread and drink some wine. You must be engaged by faith receive the supper. Brothers and sisters, corporate worship is the main business of the day, and we must make the most of it. We we don't just come and sit in a pew. And listen, I'm not advocating for like the the circus hour 
kind of church that I grew in where it's a free-for-all for the first 60 minutes of church. It's not what I'm saying. But we don't just sit in a pew. Yes, our services are quiet and reverent and liturgical, but by no means are we to sit here and be passive observers. You may not lead the service, but you are to worship God in spirit and in truth in his assembly on his day. Anything less than that is a dishonoring of God's day. In corporate worship, we are celebrating our triune God who has created all things and redeemed a people for himself. And we're declaring to ourselves and to the world that our God is God and he is above all. That's, that's the purpose of the day, by the way. So worship him well in the assembly of his saints. But you know, our duties are, are not done once the benediction is given. I think a lot of Christians, that's where they end. The benediction is given, you're dismissed. And that's the end of the Lord's day for most Christians. But our duties are not done then. Far from it. There are usually still many more hours left in the day. And again, the whole day belongs to the Lord. And this is where private worship begins. Now, some of you might ask, well, where does the fourth commandment say that we must worship privately on the Sabbath? What's well, implied, isn't it? It's implied. The day is God's. So the whole day, and not just a few hours, belongs to him. And, again, so this is just common sense, because of human frailty and needs, it's not possible to engage in corporate worship the whole day. It's not. It's simply not possible. You need to rest your mind. You need to rest your body. Um, You need to eat. You need to do other human things. It's not possible to engage in corporate worship on the whole day. So then you must engage in private worship between the gatherings. But there are a couple of, of, of examples of private worship on the Lord's Day. And I'll give one. Revelation 1.10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now where was John? Was he at church? No. He's exiled on the Isle of Patmos, imprisoned for Christ, away from the church, away from assemblies. But nevertheless... He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What is this? This is private worship. So there's your example. This is private worship. So the day is for public and private worship of the Lord. And I think that we can break this broad category down into three subcategories. That is individual worship, family worship, and Christian fellowship. So pay attention. This is, I think, where maybe some of you are saying, what do I do with the whole day after church is over? Well, catch this. First, individual private worship is really simple. This is private times of prayer and scripture reading and meditating on what you've read in the word or what you've heard preached in the sermon or what you saw at church. Now, this is often what we do throughout the week. This makes me cringe a little bit. Everything in, in American evangelicalism makes me cringe a little bit, by the way. But people say, like, this is my quiet time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like, those are your daily devotions. Let's just, let's just stick to the old term. Um, but, <laughs> I'm kidding. Call it whatever you want. This is what people call their quiet time often. Except on the Lord's Day, you don't have to be rushed. We often feel rushed, do we not, in our devotions throughout the week? Not on the Lord's Day. You don't have to feel guilty either for having a longer time of private fellowship with God. What else are you going to do on the day? It's the Lord's Day. It's a great thing. Furthermore, the Lord's Day is an appropriate day for us to privately catch up on theological or devotional or Christian living books or magazines that we've been meaning to, to read It's a good time to check out recordings and videos of sermons that you've been wanting to hear. Um, So, again, individual private worship is a 
glorious thing on the Lord's Day because we get to spend more private time with the Lord. Who doesn't want to do that? Second, we come to family worship. Now, as with individual worship, um, this is stuff that we do or ought to be doing, husbands and fathers, throughout the week with our families. This is where you read the word together, you're praying together, taking prayer requests, working through the catechisms with your children or your spouse, memorizing scripture, memorizing the creeds of the church, singing spiritual songs together, that kind of stuff. You do it within your family. But as with individual worship, I know in my experience, often throughout the week, our family worship is a bit rushed or shorter than we'd like. But on the Lord's Day, you have all the time in the world. You have all the time in the world to worship God and your family, especially if you have older children who are able to strongly engage in discussing the scriptures and, and praying together. Oh, Now, within this category of family worship, I want to remind you something, parents. On the Sabbath, we ought to be engaging with our kids. In age-appropriate ways, yes, but we need to be engaging with them. They must keep the Sabbath as much as young children can. And we can talk about the frailties of youth and, and things like that that I can't get into right now. But just as we have to obey the Sabbath, the fourth commandment is given to mankind, just as the sixth and seventh commandment is given to mankind. So here are some ideas uh, for how you can engage with your kids and your family on the Lord's Day. This is really important. Reviewing the sermon together. Asking your children what they remember from the preaching. Asking your children what they remember from Sunday school. Those are always, almost always going to spark good conversations with your kids. Um, reading Christian books to your kids. Even good Christian fiction like the Pilgrim's Progress or the Chronicles of Narnia. And talking through the biblical themes with your kids, like not just reading it for the sake of, of, of entertaining them, but read it and then say, okay, now what do you think that, that Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, what do you think he was doing here? And having good talks with them about that. Um, this next one's really hard, but if you can do it, it's awesome. Uh, finding good quality religious videos or YouTube channels that your kids will watch, that's great. I don't recommend that you let that babysit your child on the Sabbath, but again, best of luck finding stuff that doesn't violate the second commandment, but you can try. Um, Playing Bible games like sword drills or Bible trivia, that's great ways to um, spark conversations with your kids and, and teach them a measure of biblical competence. Um, if you have little ones, like I do, a three-year-old, Bible activity books, right? Working through, like, with stickers and stuff. My kid loves stickers. But again, you have to be uh, picky and make sure that you're keeping the second commandment in your choices. Um, my point, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord's Day does not have to be boring for our families and kids. It doesn't have to. It can be. It can be horrible. But, if, but you, if you plan well for the Sabbath and have things to do prepared, I promise you the day will pass quicker than you think and will be really enjoyable. So the day is for instructing our children in the faith, so don't forget to engage your kids on the Sabbath. But third, this last category of private worship is, is Christian fellowship. And this is simply spending time with your brothers and sisters on the Sabbath. I love this. Now, I, 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 I want to be clear. This isn't just hanging out. Right? This is hanging out with a purpose. Right? This is hanging out with a purpose. It can be relaxed and informal, absolutely. That's what I prefer. But every believer gathered together informally on the Lord's Day is to know that the day is still to be kept holy. 
And so our time together will look different or differently than it does on a Friday or a Saturday evening. This Christian fellowship on the Sabbath is a great time, again, to, to review things that you learned in the service. It's a great time to talk to one another about what you've been studying and reading. By the way, this is what we do every Sunday evening when my family comes here and we don't have a church service. This is why I've, this is why I've, I've decided to start doing that, that we can talk to one another. What are you learning? Um, what have you been studying in the scriptures? Or, or, or you can get more experiential than that. Can you tell me, how, how has God been revealing your sin to you? What have you been doing to fight it? Can you tell me about God's grace to you in the last week or so? How has he shown you kindness? Right? This fellowship is also a great time for confession of sin, seeking accountability, and, and times of mutual prayer for one another. But the, but the point is that our Christian fellowship on the Lord's Day is to be worshipful. It's to have an eye toward mutual edification and stirring one another up in the Lord. And, and this is a good and beautiful thing. So know this before I move on. Our private duties on the Sabbath are many, and they are a blessing to us. How many times? Like, I'm stealing this from Vody Bauckham, right? So here's part of the sermon's going to be better than the stuff that I write. <laughs> How many times do you say things like this to yourself? I wish I had more time for family worship and to catechize my children. I wish I had more time to teach my kids about God. I wish I had time to catch up on my Bible reading. I wish I had more time to pray. I wish I had more time to study this doctrine. I wish I had more time to check this book out. I wish I had time to listen to that sermon. I wish I had time, because I'm so busy, to get to know my fellow church members. What if I told you you do have the time? You have an entire day once a week to do all of those things. Take advantage of the day. It was made for your good. Take advantage of the day. But another area of, of private duties on the Sabbath to, to continue is that of good works. Our, our Lord's own example in the gospel show us that the Sabbath is a good day to do good. And so we're commanded to do works of mercy as we see the need and God providentially puts people in our paths on the Lord's Day. But you know you're also allowed to intentionally do good on the Sabbath? Like, inten like intentionally do it? And I, and I don't believe that we're limited to physical good to the hurting. Since the day is spiritual, I can't help but to think that we're allowed to do spiritual good. So just some brief things on this. Visiting the sick and elderly who can't make it to corporate worship. What, what a Christ-like thing to do on the Lord's Day. And along with this would go, and maybe our church needs to look into it. Are there nursing homes that will permit us to come in and go and see these saints who, by the way, have by and large been forgotten and encourage them in the Lord on the Sabbath day? What a, what a great use of the day. Brothers and sisters, many saints who are sick and elderly get lost in the busyness of the world. But for us, the world slows down on the Lord's day, doesn't it? Or it's supposed to. So we should go to them as we're able. In, in keeping with doing spiritual good, it's also good to engage in church meetings on the Sabbath. We're going to do that today. Uh, to, to plan ahead for how we're going to reach out to the community in the name of Christ is a great way to spend the portion of the day. And that's, again, why we have church meetings on the Sabbath. And third, and again, I know I'm being brief here. The Sabbath is a good day for evangelism. What better spiritual good can you do than to tell people of Christ on the Lord's Day? What a good day. 
This would be open-air preaching. Maybe we should start getting things together to go and distribute gospel literature, uh, right? It's a lot easier. You're already here on the Lord's Day instead of taking you away from your family on another day of the week. The Lord's Day is an appropriate day for these things. Or even this, inviting unbelievers into your home to talk about Christ. Let me, let me get to that last one. You've got time on the Lord's Day to have your unsaved family and friends come over to see you. And I recommend that you ask them to come over and be upfront with them that you want to talk to them about the Lord. Maybe they'll come. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But if they do agree to come and talk to you about the Lord and you want to spend part of your Lord's Day like that, God has just served you a golden opportunity on a silver platter to declare the gospel of Christ to someone that you love. It's a good day for evangelism. So brothers and sisters, it's good to do good on the Sabbath. So as we're able and as we have opportunity, let's devote the day to good. But now, so far, we've considered externals in keeping the day. But there's also an attitude, an internal heart posture about the Sabbath that is commanded. You know, as with all the other commandments of God, the fourth commandment extends down to our hearts and thoughts. Did you know that you are commanded to delight in the Sabbath? Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. God promises blessing in the next verse. If he, he, he likes to bless his people. So he says, if you call the Sabbath a delight, I will bless you. He's telling you, I want you to call it a delight. We are commanded to delight in the day, to esteem it highly in our hearts, to look forward to it all week, to see it as beautiful and helpful and glorious, and to be sad to see it come to an end. Now, maybe it's easier to understand delighting in the day by seeing how you are not to view the Sabbath. So check this out. This is really dark, actually, I think. In Amos chapter 8, verse 5, the Lord is condemning an attitude toward the Sabbath. The people were saying this in their hearts. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? They're saying, when will the Sabbath be over? God condemns any attitude or desire that the day would be over quickly so that we can get back to our worldly work and pleasure. You know, it, it is a horrible thing to groan when you see Sunday coming. And there's another text, I believe it's Malachi 1.13, where God rebukes the people of Israel for saying that going to worship God was a waste of time. So if you see, if you see Sunday coming on the calendar and you say, I don't want to go to church, that's also sinful. It's a horrible thing to wish that the day was over so that you can, quote, get back to your life. And why is this so bad? Please catch this. Please catch this. It's not so bad because you're despising a day. For a day in and of itself is nothing. Rather, God hates this kind of attitude toward his day because you are despising God himself. If the day is to be spent with God, worshiping Him and delighting in Him, then the day should be esteemed by us to be the queen of days, the greatest day, 
But if we want the day to be over or not to come at all, then we are really saying in our hearts that we would rather not think about God, worship Him, or fellowship with Him and His people. Brothers and sisters, that is a wicked and ugly heart. And if that's you, and I don't know if it is, and I'm not making any accusations, but if that's you, let me ask you this. What has God ever done to you to make you hate Him so? What evil has God, who has saved you by grace through faith in Christ, what evil has He ever done to you that would make you think so little of Him and not want to be around Him? Truly, we must delight in the day. For the day is a day with God. Brothers and sisters, the Sabbath is really a celebration. And so it's, it's only right that we delight in it and, and look forward to it with eagerness. The Lord's Day is a celebration of our triune God. It's a festival day. It's a holiday every week. The Puritans used to say this, why don't you guys celebrate holidays? Because we have 52 of them. That's how the Puritans would view it. They didn't celebrate holidays because we have 52 holy days a year. Sunday, those are our holidays. On it, we are celebrating God's twin works of creation and redemption. On it, we're celebrating that Christ has put away our sins by his death and resurrection on our behalf. We're celebrating the love and kindness that God has shown us to bring us to himself. We're we're celebrating that the crucified Christ is risen, ascended, reigning, and coming again to judge the wicked and save his people We're celebrating every Lord's Day that we have found true rest in Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the unity of the body, the fellowship that we have in Christ who is the head of the church. We're celebrating each Lord's Day the goodness of God to instruct us and guide us as we hear His law, repent of our sin, embrace Christ afresh, and endeavor to live holy lives. We're celebrating our hope for the eternal Sabbath to come. That our Lord Jesus has entered into first. And we know that if he has entered into it first, we will follow him there. Because he is our forerunner. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Day is a party. It is a spiritual celebration every week for the people of God. Now, are are there things that we ought not to do on it? Sure there are. But God is telling us to lay down our work and our play so that we might celebrate him and his work for us. Please hear me. Don't be a sad-faced Sabbatarian. This is not a sad, dour, restrictive day. This is the best day of the week. This is the Lord's day. As the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So, of course, we are to call the Sabbath a delight. The day should have our hearts Because God has our hearts. And we delight in the day because we delight in Him. But not only is the Sabbath our delight, it's also a foretaste of the age to come. You ever thought about that? Every Lord's Day is a picture. It's a picture of the eternal Sabbath that we will one day receive. I really mean, theologically, I don't think I'm stretching this. Once a week... God calls you away from the world and, in a sense, into the new heavens and the new earth. You get a glimpse every Lord's Day of how things are going to be someday. 
constant worship of our God and glad fellowship with him and his people in a world of rest. Every Sabbath, you get a picture of what's coming. So brothers and sisters, celebrate Christ today. Celebrate our triune God and what he has done to save us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Celebrate all that you have in him and fill the day with good things and worship the one who has saved your soul. Now I could end the sermon there. But I want to say one more thing. And I've waited until this last sermon to say this because I want it to be received well. I've done my best to be winsome throughout this series and to not be heavy-handed. And I don't plan on changing that now. I'm not about to switch gears and become a jerk. I could. Those who know me best know that's my default setting. Um, pray for me. I'm working on it. Um, but I, I must now say something that may offend you. But I, I love you enough to offend you if it is necessary to help you grow in the Lord. So th here's my pastoral appeal to your heart. And I have thought long and hard about these words, so I pray that you'll receive them graciously and, and, and be charitable toward me and give me the benefit of the doubt that I love you and I want to help you. Here is the reason that almost every person who rejects the Lord's Day as the Christian Sabbath does so, because I know some of you do. I can't say this for everyone, but this is my, my opinion for what I've seen from different people, not just here in this church, but elsewhere. The reason that I am convinced that almost every person who rejects the Christian Sabbath does so is this. Because they know it will cost them something that they find pleasure in for one day a week. Most of us are simply not prepared for the self-discipline and self-denial that it will cost us to obey the Lord in this matter. Or we are afraid of being mocked and ridiculed by our friends and family who do not keep the Sabbath, and we fear men more than we fear God. I'm speaking from experience. Those are the two reasons that kept me from this doctrine for, long enough, for, for, for a while. I really like doing all this other stuff on the Lord's Day, and I don't want my family and friends to make fun of me because I'm going to have to tell them no when they invite me to do things. And so people who are in this camp of not wanting to deny themselves or fearing men more than they fear God, such people often run to this teacher or that teacher who is respectable in many regards. Brothers in the Lord. And they'll hide behind those teachers and say, well, if he isn't a Sabbatarian or he wasn't a Sabbatarian, then I don't have to be one either. Or they'll say, well, we're not saved by our obedience, and many true Christians get the Sabbath wrong. So I guess I'll just be one of them, thank God for His grace. And they just kind of shrug off the Sabbath as if it's not a big deal, or they don't have to come down on a position because good men disagree on this doctrine. But all the while, there is no deeply rooted theological or interpretive position that they have that leads them to reject the Christian Sabbath. In fact, often these people will agree with Reformed theology and agree with Reformed interpretation in every area but the Sabbath. 
And they'll let me hold their hand, and I'll walk them through the confession of faith. And they're reformed, reformed, reformed. It's time to talk about the Sabbath. Okay, now I'm a dispensationalist, or now I'm something else. Okay, now that we're done with the Sabbath, okay, cool, back to reformed, 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 reformed. And they have no idea that in doing so, they're a walking contradiction on many other issues. And I am convinced that many, not all, some haven't been convinced by the scriptures yet. And I get that. If that's you, I'm not talking to you. But I am convinced that many do this simply because they do not want to change. They don't want to change how they spend one-seventh of their days. They don't want to give up watching the NFL. They don't want to give up watching television or playing video games on the Sabbath. Or they're just unwilling to look odd and strange to the people around them, even Christian brothers and sisters who do not keep the Lord's Day. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. And if I have just described you, if I have just described you, you need to repent. You need to repent. There is forgiveness for Sabbath breaking. Jesus Christ will forgive all who come to him. And listen, we have all wasted Sabbaths. Even those, who try, those of us who try to keep the Sabbath. You broke the Sabbath last week. You've already broke it today, I guarantee it. In your heart, at least. But praise God, Jesus never did. And by faith, His righteousness is our righteousness. And His wrath-satisfying death on the cross has paid for our sins. But listen, we still must repent so as to walk in fellowship with the Lord of the Sabbath. So I appeal to you, for Christ's sake... Because of the mercy found in him and your guilt before the Lord, repent and begin to obey the Lord on this matter. Now I appeal to you with love and a warm heart. Keep the Lord's day holy. It will be a blessing to you. And keep it in the spirit of the gospel. We obey God not to be saved or accepted, but because we are accepted and saved already through faith in Christ. So for his sake, because he loves you, love him back and keep his commandments. May the Lord give us grace to do so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you seal your word to our hearts? We, we, we've, we've seen today our duties on the Sabbath. I pray that you would help us. Help us to obey and not obey like Pharisees. Forbid it, Lord that we would ever obey anything in your word to try to gain anything from you or to merit right standing with you. That is blasphemy. Our salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. But Lord, in the spirit of the gospel, where our Lord said, if you love me, obey my commandments, that having been loved by him, we might love him back and obey Render gospel obedience in our hearts, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand?